Hi, this is Freddie Williams. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Matt Wagner. Hey, this is Tim Sayer. Hi, this is Ned Jersey Hey, Christina Ware. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. Hey, I'm Duff Lewin. Hi, this is Kevin Van Duff Lewin. You're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. I'm your host, Dustin, and as always, we have with us... It's Apple. You got Josh. And we are bringing you the latest comic news from the past two weeks, as well as your upcoming releases and the comic reviews from the past two weeks. So, let's get right into comic news. very first thing we have is on October 5th, Newsrama did their now weekly questions with Dan Deal, and there was 10 instead of 20 questions, there's only 10 questions now, but there was two questions specifically talking about um, things having to do with Batman. So, as always, I'm going to read for Dan Deal, and Josh is going to read for Newsrama. The world's finest miniseries is getting ready to start at the end of October, and I was wondering what all characters we will see in it. The solicits make it sound like Nightwing and Red Robin are the main characters. Will the entire four issues revolve around them? No, as a matter of fact, each issue revolves around a different team of two, a different world's finest team, building toward the ones we're hoping to see. The ones that I think the fans will be excited to see in the fourth issue. I'm pretty sure I know what two characters you mean. I guess I can assume everyone knows what who you mean. You better hope so. Another fan wrote it and asked, When we see the Joker again, which interpretation will it be? The classic version or the one with the grin carved on his face? We saw a little bit of the Joker in Gotham City Sirens, but the Joker comes back in full force in Grant's run of Batman and Robin. So, if it's Grant, then it'll be Grant's interpretation of the Joker. We're going to be following a lot of what Grant set forth with the Joker. We don't want to give away too much, but yeah, there's a chance it will be. Very important story with the Joker when he appears, or if he appears in Batman Robin. Wait, where did the if come from? Ha 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 ha, yeah, I still have to be vague, don't I? So, in other words, not much um, that from that set of questions. Um, what was kind of interesting about that is that... Grant could possibly be going on to another Batman book. I don't know. I find it interesting that somebody asked when the Joker appears again, what interpretation will it be since the Joker has already appeared again and it was the classic interpretation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alright, so moving right along, October 7th, uh, there were some questions. We asked this uh, the last time we talked about the pot or when we talked in the podcast about the December solicitations, where exactly was the solicitation for Batman and Robin number seven? So many people asked the question, and since last month's announcement of the issues coming out in December, we all wondered it. Well, DC knew people were wondering and addressed that in that week's comics. Um, in the DC Nation panel in the back of all the comics. The article was written by Dan DiDio, and it explains some different things. Specifically about Batman and Robin, he wrote, I even wanted to talk about why we skipped Batman and Robin in December, and how issue 7 was 
so important to the events in the DC Universe that it had to come out after Blackest Night number 6. But I can't do that either. Uh, so we'll, we won't be seeing an issue until January. Cameron Stewart, who's the artist on Batman and Robin for issue number 7, also commented on the delay late last month. And he said, P.S. I've had dozens of people ask why Batman and Robin number 7 wasn't in December solicits. I actually don't know. I don't have anything to do with that decision. The book is completely drawn, so it's not because we're behind schedule or anything. I'm sure there's a valid reason for this, but I'm not the guy to ask. Sorry. So it looks like number seven will, in fact, have something to do with Blackest Night, and that's why it was delayed. Ooh, nice little tidbit for us. Maybe a little, uh, little prelude to seeing what's going on with the, 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 you know, the Black Lanterns within Gotham. This kind of reminds me of the typical problems with crossovers, because when you have the issues that tie in in the main titles... Not the, I guess you can call them satellite titles, where it doesn't matter if they come out late, but the main books, like Batman or Detective, or Batman and Robin, and then when the main issue of Infinite Crisis, or Civil War, which was a Marvel thing that was notoriously late, or maybe Black Knight is late, it quote-unquote holds the rest of the books hostage. And I'll use an example from Marvel Comics. Uh, a few years ago, Civil War, which was notoriously late by months, they couldn't bring out the main issues of some of their books. Some of their books were like two or three months late in the process. And Civil War basically like crippled Marvel's shipping schedule. And when I see stuff like this, it reminds me of that. And I'm hoping that we don't have to go through that. So, in other words, Batman Robin, January. Let's move on. So, October 12th, we had some more questions from Dan DiDio, and there was a lot more that were Batman-related, so we're going to try to breeze through these as quick as possible, even though there's a decent amount of questions here. You say you were a fan of Outsiders back in the 80s. What particular story arcs, elements of Barr's title did you enjoy, and do you plan to incorporate Barr's work into your run on Outsiders? Also, how long do you plan to handle the writing chores on the title? Wow, you know, I like the early stuff with Baron Beldum and the Markovia storyline, and so much of what's taking place in mine and Phillips' run of Outsiders will be taking place in Markovia because it becomes a very central location for the events in the DC Universe. As for how long you're writing, Phil Tan told Newsarama that you've already got things mapped out for 12 months. Is that true? Yeah, we've got a story laid out for over a year's worth of material, and we've got a lot of bullet points for things that we're going to be doing with with which characters will be involved in the series and how the team adjusts to some of the challenges that are put in front of them right from the get-go. Since you're the executive editor, there are some readers who are concerned about time constraints delaying your work on this comic. Last time the editor at that other company was supposed to draw a miniseries, it experienced a lot of delays. I know one of the things that Phil mentioned to us was that you'll be writing The Outsiders in a plot-style script. Is that part of why you have a little extra time to work on it? Well, I mean, you know what? For me, it's something... If it's something that you really enjoy, you'll make the time to do it. And working on this book, and especially working with Philip on it, this is something I make the time for. The bottom line is that this book shouldn't run into any problems at all. In regards to Philip's schedule or Maya's schedule, we've already got plans in place so that if scheduling gets a little tight, we know how to break the schedule. 
As you can only imagine, I've got to take this one very seriously, make sure that it's not only on time, but it's as good as it can be. T-Boogie wrote in. I love these names. G-Boogie? Is it really G-Boogie? It's T, as in Tom. Oh, T-Boogie. Oh, that's better then. That makes more sense. Well, T-Boogie wrote in, now that Red Robin has discovered the cave painting from the end of Final Crisis, can you tell us the timeline for Bruce Wayne's re-entry into the DCU or whatever the resolution of that story might be? I think there will be a lot of discussion about Bruce, where he is, and what's happened to him, and there will be some level of resolution throughout 2010. Is Grant Morrison going to be involved with Bruce Wayne's returning or being found in whenever, whatever it's going to happen? Grant is the centerpiece of so much that's going on with Batman right now, and since Grant had a lot of what happens to Bruce mapped out at the moment of his departure, I can only believe he'll be the guy that will be shepherding any storylines with him in the future. Will we ever see any of Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman specials that were apparently discussed when All-Star Superman was finished? I don't think so. I mean... I mean, what happened was that we wanted to keep the series going, but to be quite honest, the 12 issues that Grant and Frank quietly had done together were, was so spectacular, I really didn't know a way to follow it up, and I was happy to see them move on to Batman and Robin. Grant has a very full plate between what he has going on in Batman and all the series. Not to say that they're off the table, but right now we're focused on a lot of other, thing, a lot of other big things with Grant. I know Cameron Stewart is on Batman and Robin next, but is it still the plan that Frank Quietly will return to the comic? There's a good chance that he will, but he also has another project with Grant that he's working on as we speak. I've heard Batwoman's tenor in Detective Comics is a limited engagement. Now, with her first arc complete as of issue 857, how are you seeing the character being received? Would she merit her own ongoing after her run in Detective? I think she deserves the level of treatment that we would give any of our star characters. That's all I'll say for now. How's that? Well, since you asked, it's not really that informative, Dan. Sorry. Ha ha ha. This isn't an easy job you've got there. I want you to know. The cover to January's issue is Batman instead of Batwoman. So is that when Batwoman steps out of the comic? Is she completely out of the picture at that point? I think we'll still be seeing her appearing in the series. As a matter of fact, you might be seeing her appear in a couple of Batman series at the start of the year, and then it's going to be hard to contain her to just guest star appearance. I feel that she's really proven herself as a solo star. Solo star? Okay, that's a fair answer. Someone wrote in, will the Batman Beyond miniseries be in continuity or be tied into Batman Reborn or Blackest Night? It's not going to be tied into the current continuity, but it's not impossible to say that it's not in the possible future timeline we're also going to see batman beyond appearing in one of our annuals that is going to be scheduled relatively soon very cool but help me out here dan batman beyond was part of the multiverse right yes he was okay so when you say not a regular continuity you mean not a new earth continuity that's right basically what i'm doing right now is being extremely vague about saying whether this marine series is a multiverse story or a possible future timeline as long as we're being vague are you ready to announce the writer or artist for the batman beyond miniseries uh not quite yet so that's it um a lot of stuff really useless information i find it interesting that dan didio is completely off track when it comes to answering questions that he has to talk about the names of the people specifically because the person he's name the person's name he commented on t boogie 
was a person who also wrote in the week before and he answered a question. Yeah. They really like the boogie over there. Yeah. And he doesn't know that it's T boogie and not G boogie or whatever. Yeah. Are you guys are you guys excited about Batman Beyond coming out? Um honestly it depends on how it's done because I think it would be cool to see a future timeline, but the problem is that a future timeline where Terry McGinnis actually replaces Bruce Wayne will interfere with what they've been doing in the book for the last couple years. So I don't think that aspect is going to be all that great. But if they were to do it where Batman Beyond's from a different universe, I'm okay with that. I honestly don't have much of a connection to the Terry McGinnis character. I mean, I, I saw the series once in a while when it was on. And I enjoyed it when I watched it, but I never followed it. So I'm not particularly excited or disappointed in the fact that he has his own series coming out. I'm a little indifferent right now, but I'm sure I'll pick it up when it comes out. And if it's written really well, then I'll get excited. Yeah, I I really don't know. I I don't really count it in continuity. I I enjoyed the shows, but um, I don't know. I mean, but. I mean, there seems to be a large fan base out there. They're going to be bringing out in a comic book. So um, I'm going to see how it comes out, see how it looks like. All right. So moving along, on October 13th, we found out some information that was posted the night before on The Source, very late at night, saying that some of the classic comic series will be coming back in January. Um, if you are only a Batman fan, then you may have been missing out on the large event happening in the DC Universe which is known as Blackest Night. You've heard us talk about it. If you have no idea what we're talking about, you are missing out. But basically, Blackest Night has already seen many Batman villains return from the dead and become Black Lanterns, also including uh, the Graysons and the Drakes have also returned from the dead as well. Um, Well, anyway, in January, the main Blackest Night series takes a break and eight titles will return with one issue specifically dealing with the events of Blackest Night. One of these series will in fact be Catwoman. Um, Now, their description of Catwoman read, Catwoman will pick up right where it left off with issue number 83. Fabian Nesaiza will be writing the issue. The issue will cover why shooting Black Mask was a bad idea for Selina. And if you've been listening to us, we've been talking about that it's only a matter of time before the events of Blackest Night cross over into the main storylines of the Bat Books. And obviously, this is going to be the month, as we talked about earlier, with Batman and Robin number 7. And now Catwoman also, so... Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I'm really interested in that one. I really want to check that out. I think that that's a cool idea, bringing back some of these other books and titles for one issue. All right, so moving right along, also October 13th, Comic Resources posted up an interview with Brian Azzarello. In the interview, they talked about specifically why... about the Doc Savage one-shot coming out in November that features Batman, and it was announced the day before, October 12th, that the issue will be the launching point for a new mini-series about Doc Savage, which will also feature Batman. And the highlights of that little interview were Doc Savage is the top of the food chain. He's the Superman, as Rollo told CBR News. And Batman will be Batman. In the book I'm doing with Phil Noto, Batman is just sort of making himself apparent, and then and that catches Doc's eye. Doc is already established. He's a war hero and an adventurer. And there's a nut running around in Gotham City dressed as a bat. Ezra will explain that this series really tells the story of Batman from the beginning, and Batman will be referred to as THE Batman. 
You can't change Batman's origin, said Azarello, but this is Batman with guns. He was originally introduced with guns, so we're picking up where it started. Azarello revealed that Batman will carry 45s and shoulder holsters above his cape, and it's not so much the fact that Batman brandishes gun that bothers Doc Savage, it's that he has a cape and a cowl at all. So, Batman with guns. I love how they say that he started out with guns, but if you look, there's really only like one or two panels where you see the gun on his belt and maybe like one or two stories where he uses it. Uh, I think it's very interesting. I know a lot of people will be like, what? Batman with the guns? But yeah, during the Detective Comics of 27, he did have a gun. So Brian Azzarello going back to that, I don't know how it's going to be approached by Batman fans currently, but... um. I mean, it's going to be an interesting story. His Joker novel, I you know, I really enjoyed. I don't think it was uh, the killing joke. I don't think it was on that level, but um, very interested to see what this Doc Savage is. Yeah, I think the the big thing is, I think some people, I I just really, I really don't want to find some people who are out there saying, "Oh, Batman has guns." It's all because of what happened in Final Crisis when he shot Darkseid. Because honestly, I don't really want that. Yeah, no, and. It, it it's hard to hold the two compared to each other because Brian Azrael is going after a, a different uh, timeline, I guess, versus in, uh, Infinity Crisis. So, eh. exactly, it's gonna be different. All right. So moving along, October sixteenth, uh, Brian Q. Miller talked with Comic Book Resources about Batgirl and discussed a couple of different things, and we've got mm, about three highlights from the interview. So Apple's going to read the stuff from comic book resources. I'm going to read Brian Q. Miller's responses. When the title was announced, there was a huge amount of speculation as to who was going to be taking up the female bat mantle. Was it difficult to keep the secret under your hat that Stephanie Brown would be getting her own series? Absolutely, especially once some interviews interview requests came in. My only choice was to unleash a host of vagaries about the book to the internet keeping the whole who is Batgirl campaign alive was paramount now I can rave about who Batgirl is to people at the bus stop which has done wonders for my social life (laughs) have you ever had any Oh, have you had any interesting fan reactions to the reveal people were already divided into camps before the reveal some people love Steph some love Cassandra all I can hope to do is help Cassandra fans to get to know and love Stephanie Brown. From a dramatic standpoint, there aren't many places left to go with Cassandra. Steph's a work in progress. Stephanie Brown has had one of the most controversial character histories in in the DCU. Now that she's the new Batgirl, what kinds of challenges do you face taking on, a char- on this character? Stephanie's checkered past within the DCU plays a big part in her headspace during these first three issues. And it is pivotal to the outcome of Point of New Origin. The biggest challenge is finding a balance between who she was, who she is, and who she wants to be. You certainly don't want to ignore any of her history. You don't want to have to dwell on all of it all the time, either. She's messed up a lot, and she gets that. You are who you choose to be, is the big mantra for Stephanie coming out of the next issue. We will certainly revisit pockets from her past, specifically Black Mask and her relationship with Tim, but this book is more about her adventure moving forward. She's finally going to start growing up. Now, what I find really interesting about this is the fact that 
they he said people divided into camps and he mentioned Stephanie and Cassandra but he didn't mention Barbara Gordon right uh like we had said all along we we've loved Stephanie Brown taking up this mantle and I really enjoyed it I love her new costume I really enjoy it I'm not really liking the new costume as much but I think it'll grow on me but yeah it was interesting him talking about the camps and he went on in the interview to talk about how uh, the Cassandra thing was kind of mandated because there's another story waiting to be told with her I'm not sure how I feel about that and um, I think I have a pretty good idea who's going to be telling that story and that doesn't exactly give me confidence either but a lot of fans if you look online and on message board got really mad because Cassandra has some diehard fans and they got mad when he said in the interview that Cassandra was out of dramatic possibilities that just like shook them up yeah needless to say anything can shake any these fans up especially the ones that I, I, I'm not surprised that people didn't freak out for the fact that he didn't even mention there's a Barbara Gordon camp out there. Um, yeah. There's, um, I was telling these guys before we recording the podcast, it's just war zones on some message board, and there's one message board that I'm not going to name by name, where there's just so many posts that have been deleted and so many topics that had to have been locked and closed because of crazy fans who just can't discuss Batgirl without killing each other. Great, she's gone too. Funny, I don't remember a Batgirl in our little club. Alright, so that's the end of comic book news. Let's get into book news for the next two weeks. Uh, I think what we're going to call, I think we're going to change this from being called book news to being called trade paperbacks. Just because (laughs) there really isn't books. Um, Alright, so... Coming out in the next two weeks, uh, October 28th, we've got only one real new thing coming out, which is Batman Monsters. And its solicitation reads, Collecting three monstrous tales for the first time from Legends of the Dark Knight, numbers 71 through 73, 83, 84, 89, and 90. First, Batman investigates murders that seem to be have committed by a werewolf. Then he must battle bioengineered soldiers turning turned killing machines and the final story batman faces clayface it's 192 pages and it's gonna be 1999 i'll be picking that up all right and then on november 4th there's actually two books the first one is batman battle for the cow companion the solicitation reads spinning out of batman r.i.p with Batman gone, the forces of good and evil in Gotham City struggle for dominance in this new title collecting the five Batman Battle for the Cow specials. Arkham Asylum, The Network, Man Bat, Underground, and Commissioner Gordon. This is 128 pages and will be $14.99. Cool. And then the other book coming out on the 4th is Superman Batman The Search for Kryptonite. The Epic Adventure from Superman Batman number 44 through 49 by Michael Green and Mike Johnson, two of the writers from the TV from the hit TV series Heroes is available now in trade paperback. The world's finest team has a new mission, collect all the kryptonite from across the globe no matter who gets in their way. Includes a forward by Dark Knight co-writer Jonah Nolan. 160 pages, 1299. 1299 is not bad, but I'm pretty sure if you go to a comic book convention, that thing's going to be half off pretty soon, so <laughs> you could probably wait for it. 
I remember that story. The ending wasn't really well received, and the ending has since been uh, forgotten and just jettisoned from continuity. Maniac, you really think you could hide it from me by encasing it in lead? I'll mold this box into your prison bars. Don't touch that. I told you. It's kryptonite, Superman. Little souvenir for the old hometown. I've spared no expense to make you feel right at home. You were great in your day, Superman. But it just stands to reason. When it came time to cash in your chips, it's opened. A diseased maniac would be your banker. Mind over muscle. So, let's get into our comic reviews. We're going to start out with Batman and Robin number 5. So, the issue starts off with Sasha, a.k.a. Scarlet, uh, having a flashback of her past, killing her father, the things she dealt with when she came to the country, and then it goes right into um, Batman and Robin fighting Red Hood and Scarlet, where it left off in the last issue. Penguin's trying to escape. Penguin escapes, but ends up getting his umbre- he jumps out the window and his umbrella ends up getting tangled up and he falls down to the ground so Batman uh, has a discussion with Red Hood at this point in time we are positive that it's Jason Todd being Red Hood and Red Hood tells Batman there's no point of being Batman Batman's dead you need to become somebody else um and Red Hood says, you know, I'm doing the same thing that you're, you're doing, only I'm actually doing justice. Uh, at some point, Robin ends up getting into a fight with Scarlet. And I don't really understand how Robin lost that fight, considering Scarlet has absolutely no training whatsoever, but whatever. Penguin ends up getting, ends up walking away from where he fell on the ground. Batman grabs him. Then we go to Wayne Tower, where we have a discussion on the television of a news reporter showing a picture of Batman and Robin with Penguin, actually covering Penguin from somebody committing a crime. And then we see this Gravedigger character that was introduced last issue uh, talking about how the Red Hood is um, a killer and Batman and Robin are actually protecting Penguin from a killer despite the fact that he's a villain. Then Batman and Robin show up, do a little cleanup, uh, eat some food, and then they show a poll on the thing, on the TV that says, let the punishment fit the crime, and out of the poll, 57% said yes. So 57% would actually be supporting the Red Hood. Then we cut back to the Red Hood's hideout, and then we find out Jason Todd dyed his hair back to red, and blames Batman for the whole situation, but that's discussion for another day then we go to the plane that the flamingo flew on and he killed every single person on the plane all the women and ate their faces then we go back to uh this character that red hood wasn't able to kill earlier because batman robin stopped him and they are actually at the hotel room pouring bleach into his iv while scarlet holds him down batman robin burst in they get into a fight, they keep fighting, they keep fighting, they keep fighting, 
Um, and then at some point, a fire truck is about to pull up, and Red Hood and Scarlet, they leave. They try to get it. They get out of there as fast as possible. And then all of a sudden, Scarlet's talking about, "Are you sure we weren't followed? I think I saw lights." And then you find out that the flamingo, number one, he's really messed up looking. Number two, he's got a motorcycle and a humongous gun and a whip. And he shoots Jason Todd in the head through the mask. And we don't know whether or not he's dead, and we'll find out in the next issue. So that is Batman Robin number five. Crime stalking our city by night and day is on the increase. Our undermanned police force is helpless to cope with the situation. But they have an ally, Batman, who, with the faithful Robin, wages unending war against all criminals. All right, so let's move right into Batman 691. Um, the cover, interestingly enough, has Two-Face dressed as Batman, which we find out within the first couple issues, or the first couple pages, that Two-Face really isn't a Batman, isn't really in a Batman costume. Two-Face dosed uh, Batman up with drugs, and that's what he's seen, but it's not really Two-Face in a Batman costume, it's Two-Face just with the gloves of Batman, the gauntlets. So, I'm going to make this review really short because it's really can be summed up in only a couple sentences, but essentially we know from the last issue that Two-Face broke into the Batcave, and Two-Face is convinced that Batman is not Batman, Batman is somebody else. We find out Two-Face has been trying to get into the Batcave for years and years and years. He hasn't been able to because Batman protects his place, and this Batman is not protecting the place. Then we find out that um, he starts telling Batman why he thinks he's not Batman, the fact that he was smiling, the fact he was doing this, that, and the other, and it's just not the same Batman that was the same one. Then all of a sudden, Batman gets shot with some kind of darts, nobody knows what the heck's going on. Um, Harvey thinks it's the chick who teleported him in the Batcave, and he turns and sees somebody in a Batman costume holding the teleporter chick. Um, hostage. The other Batman disappears, and then we've got two Batmans running around. Two-Face thinks he's going nuts. The giant penny falls over. Batman, the real, or the Batman who's Dick Grayson, beats the heck out of Two-Face, and then we find out that the other Batman was actually Alfred, wearing the costume, and he shot Dick with uh, tranquilizers full of adrenaline. Then we see Two-Face being transported to Blackgate, and all of a sudden, the convoy that's transporting them gets attacked. The cop cars get blown up. Two-Face gets freed out by a bunch of crazy people, and he finds out that Black Mask is actually letting him loose. And Black Mask invites him to join up with him, and he says, So I'd be answering to you? And Black Mask says, You'd only answer to me. You'd be a major player. Cobblepot's already on the payroll. And then there's a little interesting thing where Two-Face says, And if I pass... Black Mass says, you leave Gotham. And Two-Face says, well, if I refuse, Black Mass says, I'll kill you. Or rather, they will. And, you know, that's a really bad way to go. And he looks at them, and it's all these inmates from Arkham that were let loose in the first place. So, Two-Face says he's going to uh, leave town for a while. We cut back to the Batcave where... Dick is saying, we need to make sure that the Batcave is safeguarded. The only way we can do this is if we pack everything up. 
and get rid of it all because there's absolutely no point of keeping the Batcave here because it's not a museum. This was an armory for Batman. There's no reason to keep it here. So 31 hours later, somehow everything's packed up and gone, despite the fact that it was only Dick and Alfred. Sorry, I just don't have that much faith in Alfred being able to move all that stuff with Dick in 31 hours. Anyway, Alfred leaves, and all that's left is the back, uh, the cases that hold Jason Todd's Robin outfit and Bruce's Batman outfit. And Dick says he'll take care of it himself. He's about to remove the Robin case when he finds out that there, in fact, is the base is hollow. He opens it up and finds a data key, also known to the normal world as a flash drive or USB drive, and plugs it into the computer, only to find out that Bruce was looking into the murder of Dick's parents, and we're going to have to wait till the next issue to find out why, in fact, he was looking into that. You deceived me! You can't take this one! Zuko's mine! Sorry, Robin. But on this team, I call the shots. But I've waited half my life! Batman out. Oh no, he's not gonna ace me out. Please, Master Dick, you must do as he says. Not this time, Alfred. Maybe not ever again. Batman Annual 27 begins with Harvey Bullock investigating a murder that was done at a church. A priest was killed, and a tombstone has been uh, basically rifled with. And he has a funny comment when he's talking to his partner. He's like, oh, don't worry. I'm sure that Batman will handle part of this. In fact, I'm sure that Batman's watching me right now. And sure enough, Batman, hiding behind a tree in the graveyard, is watching them. And we cut back to the what we're calling, I guess, the Bat Bunker. Where, you know, we're getting the usual Dick Grace and Damian Wayne argument like, Oh, I know how to fight crime better than you. I know what I'm doing. Damian, you're so impulsive. You need to actually learn. You don't, you may know, but you don't have the experience. And Damian's like, well, you know, I looked at the tombstone and I see that the way it was uh, ransacked, the person wasn't trying to break it. He was trying to get something inside of it. And then they realize um, that the tombstone belongs to the Cantoni family. Or, excuse me, Cantonini family. So whoever this person is, they were after something in the Cannoniti family. In the Cannoniti family, uh, they were people who immigrated to Gotham back in the 1800s. They worked in construction and eventually changed their name to uh, Canton. And now they're the second wealthiest family in Gotham. Guess who the first wealthiest family in Gotham is? Pretty much so. They decide that they're going to trail uh, the surviving members of the family to see if uh, maybe there's something that they want. So Batman's watching, and apparently a guy in a weird costume, which we later find out is modeled after the demon, I believe it's called Amon, breaks into the uh, room of the youngest Canton child, and Batman fights him off and stop, stop this kidnapping from happening. And uh, the guy's getting away, and Damien, of course, he's in the flying Batmobile, and he's talking to Dick over the radio. He's like, oh, no, you know, I should confront him. No, Damien, that's not a good idea. Well, you know, your strategy sucks. I'm trying your thing with the net, and that's not working. So he gets away. So they're trying to figure out um, later on in the bunker what they're going to do, and they decide to use Damien as bait. So Damien's getting made up to look like this kid. He's like, hey, you know, at least you don't have to be – You'd, at least they don't have a daughter, and you don't have to impersonate her. And he's like, that would be a worthier challenge than this. 
Uh, so Damien would rather dress up as a girl. So Damien is dressed up to look like the Canton child, and they make it look like he's leaving their uh, condo or apartment complex. And uh, Dick, of course, is disguised as his chauffeur. And they get attacked by the villain who, like I said, we're calling Amon for now. I don't see him giving himself another name. So the police have him surrounded, and he has Damien in his little tail thingy on his costume, not knowing that it's Damien, of course, when Asriel, the new Asriel from the miniseries, comes in and kind of screws everything up by confronting the guy head-on, and Dick's trying to be like, no, 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 stop, and Asriel accidentally causes one of the cars to explode, and Dick has to save the Gotham cops, and they all kind of braid him, oh, you shouldn't have gotten involved, he's like, oh, he killed, um priest and i'm asriel and i must do something about that so they're none too happy about this so batman basically realizes and i'm calling dick grayson batman i know some people have a problem with this that asriel of course you know works in one of the church's secret societies and he interrogates some people including uh father garrett about the demon known as the villain demon known as amon and what's going on with asriel so they set up a meeting between dick and asriel and they're deciding to work together now and they find that uh, the villain Amon, when they destroyed the Cantonini guy's grave earlier, they actually dug up his body to find whatever key it is that's – apparently this is like a Da Vinci Code type thing where they were looking for a key or a piece of a puzzle. And if they find all the other ones from all these other families and put it together, the unspeakable holy evil will happen. And they have to find him before uh, Damien gets killed. And we cut to uh, – the demon Amon, in his lair, we have a bunch of kids, all strapped to some weird circle, as if they're going to be sacrificed, and uh, he says that the children of the seven shrouders of sin must die, and Damien's among them. And that's the end of that first story. Everything else is going to be continued in uh, the Detective Comics Annual, which comes out the next week, which I'll be reviewing in a minute, but first we have some backup stories. Little Gotham, which, I mean, is it even necessary to give a recap of this? It's just a fun little story, and visually, it's completely awesome. You guys have to check it out. And then we have a story called Darker Than Black, Part 1. We begin with um, some sort of robbery has happened at a blood bank, and uh, the villain, whoever did this, left a big bat symbol in blood on the wall. And Oracle, at her dad's uh, police station, is looking through some of these files when this uh, criminal, uh, criminal psychologist, a forensic psychologist named Samuel Ahrens comes in. And he's like, oh, I couldn't help but see you were looking at. And then it's kind of like the conversation between Chase Meridian and Bruce Wayne in Batman Forever. She's like, yeah, it's, it's amazing that some guy drew a batch. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. That's a Rorschach. Some people see a butterfly. You see a batch. You see only what you want to see. You know, I didn't buy it when Chase Meridian said it. And I'm not buying it when this guy says it either. That thing is obviously a bat. Well, after everything is said and done and nobody's around the crime scene, Oracle sneaks in and uh, looks at, with one of her special flashlights at the blood Rorschach bat on the wall. And behind the blood, there is some sort of writing, which is kind of hard to decipher, but she later makes it out that it's a Shakespearean passage. And she goes to the Batcave, which is her new headquarters now. At least this book acknowledges it. And boy, has the Batcave cleaned up. It looks more computeristic than ever. 
she sees that the blood on the raw shack and the blood that was writing the Shakespeare passage are from two different donors. And she's trying to figure out the motive that this person's leaving a calling card, somebody obsessed with death. Hmm, trying to figure out who this could be. She sends the information to the Gotham City Police Department, and of course, when she's talking about it with her dad later, Gordon thinks that it's Batman, and she's like, of course, Batman gets all the credit. Even though uh, Barbara told her dad a while ago that she was Oracle, I guess he's forgotten again, just like he always forgot she was Batgirl. And the DNA, uh, one of the DNAs matches Christopher Abrams, who's their lab technician, so they run down there, they're like, oh my god, we gotta get him to seal the building. And with the help of Barbara, who really needs to join the police department, I mean, she's doing all their work for him, they manage to subdue the guy. But they're all talking, and, you know, Bullock, Gordon, and Barbara, and that criminal uh, psychologist specialist, they're like, well, you know, uh, this doesn't really fit his M.O., and we know that there's the two different DNAs, he wasn't working alone. And Barbara can't help but think that the person who did this is still out there. And we cut to a little cliffhanger where there's a redhead who you can't tell if it's Barbara or not. But uh, she's looking at it, the bat Rorschach on her ceiling. And there's a vampire person waiting in the shadows. That's going to do it for Batman Annual 27 with the exception of the Wayne Tower. Uh, Batman Operational Files feature where it shows you, you know, uh, Wayne Tower's... A uh, little floor plan and some stuff about the flying Batmobile, the little specs, you know, nothing to write home about, but pretty cool stuff. Now we go straight into Detective Comics Annual 11, which is going to pick up from the first story from the Batman Annual that we just did. Now we're going to start off with the question, and she's being attacked by some Gothamites that look like I am legend people. I don't know if it's just bad artwork or whatever, but they're all attacking her, and somebody is in the shadows going, consume, consume. And she basically figures out that these people are brainwashed. Batman comes to save her, and she's like, yeah, a little last minute. He's like, oh, five more seconds, and you could have been dead. Don't you dare complain about my timing. So they realize that they don't want to hurt these people because they're being brainwashed, but they don't want to get hurt by them either. So they're like, yeah, let's just get out of here. So uh, he blindfolds a question, takes her to the bunker. And she basically says, oh, new digs. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, well, you're a new Batman. I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, yeah, you're Nightwing. That's what I figured. And then he proceeds to give her some exposition about what happened last issue with Eamon the Demon looking for the key in the tombstone. Turned out it was in the casket. And then he kidnaps Robin, who's disguised as the kid. They realize that uh, because Robin's been missing for so long and that there's no ransom demand, Eamon does not want these kids for ransom. He wants them for another reason. Hmm. Using some detective work, Batman and the Questioner are able to realize that... Uh, this is being done actually underground at one of the churches, which we cut to, and uh, because each of these children from each of these different seven families represents seven of the deadly sins, and they need to be killed in a certain order, and one of the kids is about to be uh, bled, and Damien, still disguised as the Canton boy, is like, oh, well, then if you have to just start with someone, start with me. Wait, what? Is Damien actually being a sympathetic character, trying to sacrifice himself for others? And they're like, oh, don't be silly. You know, we have to kill him first because of the order, and we have to unlock the demon, etc., etc., and we must do it this way. So Damien picks his own locks. Why didn't he just do this earlier? I guess he was buying his time, and starts trying to kick the butt of Amon and his demon esque friends, one of them who seems to have an astral form. 
and during the scuffle, Damien's clothes get ripped and his Robin outfit's underneath, and they basically realize that they have an imposter. We cut to Asriel with his secret society people, basically giving some exposition on what these people are up to, everything that's already been established, and then Batman with the question, realizing that, hey, if they realize that Robin's not the real kid, they're going to go after the real kids, uh, otherwise they can't complete their ceremony to resurrect this dead guy. And the police are watching the real kid. Now, meanwhile, this astral demony girl, she's putting illusions in Damien's mind, kind of subduing his body, while uh, one of the kids is getting stabbed and his blood is being put into the thing. Um, doesn't look like Damien's able to stop after being so sympathetic before. He jumps out of the way through the sewer and while they're all pursuing him, and then the astral woman basically goes into the form of a naked woman, kind of trying to mess with his head and be a siren. I'm not sure how much of Damien's thoughts are his own. Batman and the question en route to where the church is get stopped when they hear over the police scanner that the Canton's address is being attacked by all those zombie demon, you know, Gothamites who have been brainwashed from the beginning of the issue. And so they decide to take care of it. Question's like, what about Robin? And they're like, well, the Canton boy has to be our first priority, unfortunately. And we go back and forth to, you know, Robin and that one temptress girl. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not supposed to feel this way about girls yet, really. And she's about to finish him off uh, by messing with his head and doing her weird witchy woman stuff when Asriel bonks her in the back of the head and is able to save Robin. When they have uh, the rest of the demon crew showing up and it's like, well, good thing that your head's clear because you're going to need a clear head now. Batman and the question split up while Batman takes care of the outside of the building where where this guy who uh, the, who was controlling the people at the beginning of the issue, apparently he makes uh, – controls f f bees and flies and makes them go in the people's mouths and somehow that controls them. And Dick's like, wow, that's kind of sick. Well, Montoya, a.k.a. the question, goes into the apartment and apparently uh, the people were able to take control over the Canton family and made the husband and wife argue with each other and made him stab her and the kid got kidnapped. Uh, Bullock's talking with them as well when the question's there and Bullock acknowledges that he recognizes Montoya as the question after all the years that they spent together and because he recognizes her butt. Seriously. Seriously. Really. And Damien are able to fight their way back into the sewer. Damien starts freeing the kids, and Asriel wants to look for that dead person's body that they're trying to bring back, which was his motive all along. While Batman rescues the uh, Canton kid, and he promises the kid, It's okay, I'm going to stay with you till the cops come. And he's like, Wow, yeah, definitely not your father's Batman. Asriel is heir of the demon side of things, and, you know, Robin saves the kids. But Batman berates Asriel for you being lethal, not caring about the kids, and he's like, oh, well, you know what? You don't get to judge me. That's reserved for a higher power. So we're left with the question and the dynamic duo standing on the rooftop, and she's like, well, I'm glad I moved from Gotham, and Dick's being down on himself, which is odd because in the Judd Winnick book he was saying that he wasn't allowed to down himself in front of Damien because Damien would never let him live it down, but Damien's thinking that he has to – Dick's thinking that he has to try harder because of – the Canton woman who lost her life, and she's like, hey, Gotham's lucky to have you. The manly pat on the back is okay with you, right? Being the wimpy Batman and all. Don't call him the wimpy Batman. He's going to punch you in the face. Well, that's the end of that plotline, which brings us to the second part of the Barbara Gordon plotline, which was started in the Batman annual. I'm going to be very brief with this one because this is two annuals in a row, and they're all very long and lots of stories, but Barbara basically uh, calls a former member of the Outsiders, who also happens to be a vampire, 
named Looker to help her with this crime. Uh, she didn't expect that Looker was going to show up in her apartment, but Looker apparently doesn't know that Barbara Gordon's Oracle. She's just in the apartment to investigate. She's like, oh yeah, I'll be there in a minute, and she starts drinking the blood because on the raw shack wall because she's also a vampire. So yeah, apparently that girl in the cliffhanger from the last annual in the bed being almost attacked was Barbara. Just couldn't tell because of the artwork, which was inconsistent, as it is here too. Well, this one, so it's funny because she meets with Barbara, then she calls Oracle when she's done. And of course, since Oracle uses a voice disguiser, she doesn't know that she's one and the same. And Looker, and I'm just going to sum things up briefly, uh, helps uh, track down this vampire person who apparently is stalking Oracle and wants to use her blood for some reason. And uh, Looker attacks the vampire, and vampire gets away, though. And there really isn't a resolution to the story. And they actually say that he's only beginning to get dangerous. And you see that he's murdered somebody else and left another bat Rorschach. And it says the end with a question mark. So that's uh, Detective Comics Annual 11. Okay, Batman Confidential issue 34. Uh, where we last left it, the bearer was looking at Gener General Lokov's family. Uh, here we pick up with uh, Batman uh, talking to Peter. Of course, Peter telling him again that, you know, there's bad people up in Moscow. And Batman's, of course, like, I know. And we go into where Batman's really interrogating a guy and he's trying to get information out. Uh, the next panels we see is really the, the bear going after Lokov's family, then attacks. You get to see the bear. Uh, the way he looks, attacks the car, hold, gets Lukas family. Of course, Lukas on the phone. He's, you know, he's like, oh no, you know, my family, you know, <laughs> they're basically getting captured right now. And then uh, Batman then finds out that Zars has a bomb. Of course, the bomb is actually really a fake bomb. Okay, but the the discussions right here that Peter Milligan had uh, had between uh, Batman and Zars is pretty cool. Um, we then know that we we go to the panel where uh, Lukov's family is being kept and of course you know the, the guys are right there you see the bear there which was very interesting because in previous issues he was always sent to go do the mission and then go back to the sewer but uh, you then see him inside the house here and so we see Batman also having a discussion with uh, Commissioner Gordon uh, we see uh, Zar is telling Lukov to go ahead and set a trap for Batman and then we see Lukov really you know not you know, going against really the uh, Czar's orders in here, and so you see that, of course, uh, Lookout decides not to because uh, I guess in a way where the writers are going to try to go to is where, you know, Batman's going to try to help him save his family. Where we then leave off is Lookout's family's right there uh, with the bear, and of course, Lookout's family's telling the bear like, "You wouldn't hurt us, would you?" And so that's where we leave off, and that was Batman Confidential thirty four. It was actually pretty quick. Um, that's going to lead us into the first issue of a five-part series called Batman Unseen. And this is written by Doug Monick and drawn by Kelly Jones. Uh, the story picks off where we see Batman. Uh, we see um, a gang of, of 
thugs that we see, and of course, all wearing different kind of masks, which will we'll lead into the story in a little bit. But uh, we see Batman coming down, doing his normal intimidation part, and uh, really, these guys are really not falling for his really intimidation. Of course, they're scared, but they're not really falling down to his uh, his Batman ways. Of course. And, uh, of course, Batman gets tired of, he yells enough, and, of course, he takes out all the guys, of course, but uh, he's really seeing that these guys are really, I mean, they're scared, but they're not really intimidated of him. And so we go back to where Bruce is uh, back in the Batcave with Alfred, and Alfred's, of course, stitching him up, and, you know, he's really less like, man, you know, they're not being scared of Batman right now. But uh, also within the store, we see two gentlemen approach a doctor. And uh, this doctor, of course, he's he's dealing with uh, he's a chemistry kind of scientist, I guess you kind of say. And uh, uh, Doctor Nigel is his name, and uh, they approach him saying that a benefactor wants him to do a little experiment. And so uh, we have that going on, which then we start to see in the next panel that who's behind it all, and this, of course, is Black Mask. Batman had just finished beating up Black Mask's game to why they were wearing all masks. Uh, we then see that he is going to be the manufacturer of the uh, Dr. Nigel's experiments, which Dr. Nigel decides that, okay, since he's already got a funding from Black Mask, uh, he tries the experiments on himself, and of course, he, he turned into something like something out of... Uh, you know Hellraiser or something <laughs> and he's like you can see all his skin and he, he tries to do the experiments on himself of course the the contacts for uh, Black Mask come and they see look onto the the experiment and uh, they just chuck it up okay you decided to be the guinea pig for your for this uh, experiment where the experiment is actually to become invisible and so they go on, they chalk it up. Okay, we'll go ahead and report back to our benefactory. Well, it's actually Black Mask. And they come back and they said, you know, we'll go ahead and tell them what's going on. Of course, the doctor continues to do experiments on himself. And he gets down to, you know, uh, bone and he's like invisible. He commits a murder along the way. And uh, Black, one of Black Mask's contacts, the one that's in contact with Dr. Nigel, actually sees uh, Dr. Nigel's work within the murder. But... Uh, Dr. Nigel has a very funny part where he feels like he has to eat. And so that's where it leads off. We then see a uh, part with uh, Harvey Bullock coming into the story, very well written for Harvey Bullock, uh, talking about like uh, him investigating the, the crime where Dr. Nigel had just killed one of the deli guys. Uh, Batman comes in, of course, Batman and Commissioner Gordon going through their talking and ba Commissioner Gordon really letting him on, on in the murder that Harvey Bullock was just at. And so Batman goes in, of course, he goes and he's trying to rough up some thugs, get some information. And then as he enters, uh, we then see uh, another panel with Dr. Nigel actually looking like he's completing uh, his experiment where he's actually trying to go into full invisibility and so that's where it leads off where Batman's wearing um, some like a little blind covering up his eyes which leads us into uh, part two Translex and that's it for issue one of Batman Unseen I understand your concern, Mr. Wayne but I don't think you need to worry that Wayne Tech is responsible for this invisible man 
Okay, and now we are at the fifth issue of Red Robin, and for those who remember the fourth issue, uh, things did not end too well for Tim. He and the rest of his League of Assassin friends got stabbed after he saw some bad hieroglyphics on the cave wall, but we don't open back up with this at the beginning of the issue. We open up with uh, 19 years ago in Brazil, some girl, yes, that's right, we're doing the flashing back and forward again. Some girl is getting hunted in Brazil, and she falls into a pit where a bunch of spiders crawl on her, and bite her with the poisonous venom. Now, as we find out later in the issue, because this isn't real life, instead of her just dying really bloodily, she gets some kind of a poison ivy-type power. We cut to Baghdad, Iraq, where Tam Fox, Lucius Fox's daughter, is still looking around for uh, Tim Drake, and she's now, or, or Tim Wayne, or Alvin Draper, she doesn't really know anymore. And she goes back to her hotel room, and passed out on the bed is uh, Prudence, one of the um, only surviving members of the League of Assassins crew that was with Tim, the bald chick, and uh, Tim completing his Red Robin gear. And there is blood all over that hotel room. Let's hope that housekeeping will be discreet. Uh, she's very, very shocked, and she goes over to uh, look at them. When the League of Assassins breaks in, Tim wakes up, and he's can sense that he's healed he looks around sees the ninjas sees the lazarus pits and he's freaking out because he's thinking that oh my god oh my god i was killed i've been resurrected oh my god and he starts fighting off uh, the ninjas but before then we go to brazil again 19 years ago the little girl uh runs into her hunters and uses her poisonous powers on them Back to the present day, the white ghost basically tells Tim to stop fighting all these people because he's going to rip his stitches. And then from surgery, he looks down, sees himself bandaged. He's like, huh, oh yeah, I guess I wasn't re resurrected in the Lazarus Pit after all. <laughs> oh well. So uh, they flash back to what actually happened after the end of last issue, 19 hours ago. Tim basically crawls, grabs Prudence, who's still alive, takes her into uh, the vehicle that they came in, and they crawl into Tammy Fox's uh, hotel room and pass out on the bed. The funny thing is, when he thinks he's going to die, he says, Will I see Connor? I hope so. Connor's been alive for quite a while now, and Tim knows that. And, in fact, they ran into each other in Adventure Comics, but I digress. So, Tim's basically, you know, uh, telling the White Ghost what, what happened, how the League of Assassins was targeted by a guy named uh, the Widower. And they're like, okay, so what are we going to do about your guest? And Tammy Fox is there, accompanied by the ninjas, and she's looking very, very shocked and uh, confused. And Tim's like, oh, I knew I was forgetting about something. We go back to Brazil years ago, and we see the poisonous girl. I don't know what else to call her. She's just basically walking through the village, and it's not going too well. Now, back to the cradle, which is the League of Assassins' current headquarters. Uh, Tim is alone in a room with um, Tammy Fox, and the interaction's kind of funny. Um, I wasn't too sure about this character in her first few issues, but we see here she's basically just a scared little teenage girl, you know, which this is going to come off really, really sexist, but, you know, all the women in Tim's life are basically like strong go-getter women who can handle all these situations. So it is nice just to have, like, you know, a, f a funny little damsel, dis damsel in distress, and I don't mean that in a sexist way. It's just kind of a refreshing comedic foil. So 
they go back out to get briefed with the rest of the League of Assassins, and they're talking about how they're being targeted, and they show you the little stuff that's happened in the last few issues, like the guy who got spider stuff on his face, and that someone's basically declared war on the League of Assassins. Tim's like, I don't think that this is war. This is a sport. And then he talks about something that the, what, that the widower explained to him. So they're telling Tim basically, well, you know, Ra's al Ghul says, or Ra's al Ghul, depending on how you grew up. I, I always called him Ra's when I was younger because of the animated series. But now with Batman Begins, everyone's going on about calling him Ra's al Ghul. But in any case, he wants Tim to lead the hunt uh, for this council. And uh, Tim's thinking about it, and there's a really funny part where uh, Vivian's like, say no, unless they kill us, then say yes. Which is, like I said, one of the reasons why I like about her, you know, because she's basically just, you know, the scared, you know, damsel in distress. And he says, I need access to everything. We start now after some internal after some internal monologue from him debating about whether he should do this gray area or not. When he's alone with Vivian in their quarters later, he basically tells her that his plan is to take out the League of Assassins from the inside. And that's our cliffhanger for the issue. For once, we didn't have somebody saying to Tim, you're crazy for thinking Bruce is alive. Go away! Well, now let's check in on Tim's ex-girlfriend, Stephanie Brown, formerly the spoiler, now Batgirl, in issue three of her series. And actually, uh... Stephanie basically gives a grocery shopping list of all of her aliases on the first page. She says, my name is Stephanie Brown. I've been a Robin. I've been a spoiler. And of course, now she's Batgirl. And she has the former Batgirl Oracle talking to her on her comlink as they're uh, moving in on Gotham's Western Quadrant, Devil's Square, where they're going to be confronting the Scarecrow. He's been targeting some kids at Stephanie's college, and Scarecrow has a new drug. It's kind of like his fear drug, but it also affects uh, the thrill stuff in you, and it works a little differently than his fear drug. Um, Barbara tells uh, Stephanie to go into the compartment on Cassandra's belt, and, uh, and of course, Stephanie notices that she's like, yep, she's still calling it Cassandra's costume. Way to be passive-aggressive, Babs. Pull out... A, pull out um, a serum in there that she's going to inject in herself that's going to help her against it. While she's heading towards uh, the headquarters, she's thinking about how Scarecrow's currently working for Black Mask right now, and that scares her a little bit because, as fans of the Batman series know, Stephanie and Black Mask uh, go way back. So Scarecrow is um, talking with his henchmen, who were uh, Stephanie's classmates from the college, and he uh, puts the thrill-slash-fear drug on them and basically watches them beat the living tar out of each other while Stephanie makes her way into the headquarters. And uh, Scarecrow sees that somebody's entered. He turns around, he's like, oh, just you then? And he's a little insulted that, you know, he has the second stringer going after him. So he injects the thrill-slash-fear drug into her, and obviously with the serum that was in Cassandra's belt, she has a little bit of a chance to fight it, but... Eventually, she starts to see some things, and uh, the rage part of her nervous system takes over, which is part of the drug, and she sees Tim Drake, and she uh, and he's not in his Red Robin costume, but he's in the Robin costume that he wore prior to uh, retiring the Robin uh, mantle, and she says, my nervous system comes under attack from a weaponized rage drug, so it makes total sense that my ex-boyfriend is the first thing I see, naturally. I thought that was kind of funny. 
So she's getting attacked, and the Tim in her dream is basically telling her, you weren't good enough a hero to save the city. Heck, you weren't even good enough of a girlfriend to keep me from leaving, and just going on and on. Eventually, um, it switches from Robin to spoiler, and Stephanie has another line that I like. She says, Scarecrow should call this stuff irony. He'd make a, oh God, a killing. What's weird is, while um, Barbara is watching this from the Batcave, on the little computer screen and she's seen, if you look, there's two capes, so she is actually seeing spoiler fighting Batgirl which doesn't make any sense at all because how could Barbara be seeing what Stephanie's seen in her head with the fear slash rage drug? I don't know. Well, it's not going too well for Stephanie. Uh, she's basically about to be re- received the killing blow from Scarecrow and she kind of overcomes it and she's thinking about stuff that people were saying to her over the last few issues her mom, some random guy and Oracle and uh, Oracle's actually calling her back girl finally, telling her to wake up and uh, because Stephanie was able to overcome her self-doubts about herself and not run from her fear, she was able to overcome the fear drug and realize who she was she basically does the whole I'm back girl and kicks the scarecrow's butts. And we cut to Oracle in the Batcave. She says she might be at a girl. And then while Oracle's on the Batcave uh, computer, she accidentally crashes in the Two-Face and Dick Grayson, who are fighting in the background. No, just kidding, because that's not acknowledged here or in Batman at all. The police bust in uh, with Detective Nick leading them, and Stephanie gets away before they can shoot at her. Later on, uh, Stephanie leaves a note on Detective Nick's car. Thanks for not shooting me. Love, Santa's little helper. She's home with her mom, and they have breakfast together, and Barbara decides to stop being such a grump and goes to make friends with Wendy Harris, which is – and they're, they're acting as if they, they're meeting for the first time, which is weird because um, it looks like they were together at the end of the Oracle miniseries. And Stephanie goes to college, and the new assistant professor for her computer class is none other than Barbara Gordon – so they're back at the Batcave, and they're doing just like what Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne did years ago, and they're making an oath over a candle, and Barbara's promising to be uh, basically a mentor to Stephanie. And for some reason, the Batcave is empty because Dick and Alfred cleared it up. Nope, just kidding again. The Batcave is exactly as it would have been had, had Dick and Alfred not cleared it up. Go figure. And she presents Stephanie with a new costume, which we get a big splash page of at the end as Stephanie is fighting some villains. It's uh, purple, and it looks a little 90s-ish, and you see her hair. So that's the end of the first arc of Batgirl. All Gotham is talking about the mysterious Batgirl. All right, so that is going to take us into our review wrap-up. Starting out with Batman Robin. Um, Overall, Batman Robin was... uh, pretty decent issue i mean i'm not they address some things as far as the jason todd becoming uh a redhead which they made a comment that or in the comic jason todd specifically said oh i only dyed my hair so i look more like dick grayson yeah that's not true but uh you know whatever floats their boats anyway uh overall decent issue i wouldn't say i know exactly where it's going in the next issue but this Flamingo characters kind of got me a little intrigued. And the fact that Jason Todd just has been shot in the head is even more interesting. So overall, I'm going to give it a three and a half Batarangs out of five. Uh, Z-Factor also reviewed the book on the website. 
and gave it a 5 out of 5. Alright, so that's going to take us into Batman number 691. Honestly, this is crap. Just pure crap. Um, really, can we take this book and contradict it against any other series more than has ever been done? I mean, first it contradicted Batman and Robin when it came out back in June. Now it's contradicting what's happening in Batgirl. Seriously, I'm really just tired of it. Um, as much as I hate to say it, I'm looking forward to Tony Daniel coming on the book this coming month so that we can see something worthwhile in the issues. Uh, but yeah, just crap. I give it nothing but one out of five. And that's only for the sheer fact that uh, we have the Black Mask cameo interesting <laughs> interesting thing is um we did this story before where oh my god maybe zuko didn't kill dick grayson's parents maybe the store maybe there's more to the murder they did that years ago in the nightwing miniseries are we really doing that again and if you read trinity you'll see that uh mark bagley draws uh dick grayson's parents exactly like diana prince and bruce wayne very nice very nice cool all right, well, the Batman annual uh, art was good, and I enjoyed some of the Dick and Damien interplay, like Damien wanting to cross-dress as a woman. That was kind of weird. Uh, some of it was fun, and I liked the little Gotham, um, but really wasn't interested in the main story and the Barbara Gordon vampire story. The art was poor. I just, I just couldn't get into this, and I'm giving it two out of five batterings and honestly the only reason why it has two batterings instead of like zero or half a battering is because of the little gotham which like i said i really liked and i'm gonna have to give the same rating for a detective annual just if anything it was it was almost worse i mean the swarm people which popped up out of nowhere in the second part along with montoya and the ending and the whole thing about the Da Vinci Code and bringing these people back from the dead, it was just weird. And we still had that bad story and just, uh, no. And the art was worse. I'm, I'm sorry, but two out of five batterings. And you're lucky that you had Little Gotham in there. Well, uh, that's going to take us into the review for Batman Confidential number 34. Um, I was hoping that the third the third part of the story was I know there's some slow parts whenever you're trying to tell a long story and I was hoping that the last issue 33 was the slow part however I was really disappointed in 34 and I'm a huge fan of Batman Confidential uh, which it, it's really sad for me to even say the cover's cool the best part of, of this comic was just the cover the cover alone was the coolest part but this story just seemed to have gone slow. It just like never developed. I'm like, what? What are you prolonging? I, I felt that you know whatever they have told in 33 and 34, they could have just told in 33 and packed it all in, and it would have been a you know better story. But they didn't. In fact, some it feels like some of the pages have just been like slacked off on. Um, Peter Milligan, I don't know what kind of story he's trying to tell, but um, I'm really disappointed so far in this story. Uh, Andy Clark, his art is it's consistent but if you're looking for something to excite you, you're not going to find it here 
Um, I'm really disappointed in Batman Confidential 34, and I'm going to have to give it two batterings out of five. Which just so happens to be the exact same rate that the Cape Crusader gave Batman Confidential number 34 on the website. Cool. I'm glad Batman fans were seeing that eye. <laughs> uh, I was really disappointed in Confidential. Really sad. I, I was hoping that would be a good story, too, because there could have been a good story, but uh, I'm talking like it's really over, and there's one more issue to go. Our review for Batman Unseen, the first issue. Uh, I like Doug's writing. Uh, I liked how he... What made Superman and Batman famous by Jeff Loeb was that he he got into the heads of Superman and Batman and had the way that they were approaching their situations. Batman Unseen, Doug does the same thing for Batman, but it, it, it almost feels like it's... Um, I, I, I guess it's just me in, in this, but I hate seeing Batman be vulnerable and where, where he's talking about, you know, the, that the people are not intimidated anymore, you know, by him, really. So you're trying to find some flaws with Batman that, you know, I I, I take offense against. But uh, Doug did, I mean, neither, la- neither I mean, n- not pointing just that part out the way it makes me feel about the way Batman's written like that. Uh, nevertheless, it's a good story. It, it's, uh, I'm very interested to see where this goes. Now, that's far as the story. Art, I am not a huge Kelly Jones fan. You guys know that. I really don't find it really to be exciting to me. I really, I actually don't like the art. But um, there are fans out there of Kelly Jones that do. And they really love his art because, I mean, if they didn't, this guy wouldn't have a job right now. Uh, his art, I don't find it interesting in any way. Uh, the story was very good. If you're looking for shadows and real, real dark spaces, Kelly Jones can give you that. Um, but much like uh, Gotham After Midnight, I thought that was a very good story. Uh, I find Doug writes a very, a very first uh, issue that could lead to something better. And that's what I'm hoping for issue two. So the story is on point. The art not a fan of. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give this uh, two and a half batarangs with a promising three batarangs if it turns out an issue two like I'm hoping it does turn out. But uh, I enjoyed it but nevertheless the art holds me down and uh, that's what I have to say about that one but I really enjoyed it. If you want a good read guys, pick this up. And Z Factor also agreed saying he's along for the ride and it's not great, but it's definitely fun and an interesting story. He gave it three out of five. All right, well, Red Robin. I'm glad they're still not telling things in a linear fashion, but it's not as bad as it was before. For the most part, Tim Drake's story only jumped around once where it flashed back to how he got into the hotel room. It's still a little jarring, but it's not as bad as it was before. And it looks like we're done with the cliche that they had in the first few issues where every issue a new person from Tim's life would come in and say, Oh, well, you're being crazy. Bruce is dead. No, he's not. Go away. I'm angsty. And it would just repeat itself the next issue. For once, we didn't have that. And the story's actually starting to move forward. So I'm liking this. And as I said when I was doing the recap, I'm liking the character of Tammy Fox. I don't know what that says about me, though, but... I just love her saying, like, oh, say no, unless they threaten to kill us, then say yes. And, 
oh my god what's going on is this a normal day for you she, you know kind of draws the story closer to earth again you know and takes it out of all this supernatural ninja and mysterious back cave wall stuff so because it's getting better I'll bump it up to a 4 out of 5 batterings and uh, for Tim's ex-girlfriend Batgirl now uh Book's getting a little better. They're moving Barbara out of her grumpy phase. Um, I like the book to begin with, so when I say it's getting better, it's not like I hated it before, but my criticism was Barbara was just basically being um, grumpy for no reason about the fact that Stephanie was Batgirl. And some people say, well, of course there's a reason. Uh, fans will note that uh, if Cassandra came back, she'd be a little mad that Stephanie basically ruined her costume in the span of two or three issues. Obviously, there's some discrepancies with what's going on in the Batcave. As a- but Josh, but Josh, you know why the the, the uh, suit was ruined, right? It's because she doesn't wash it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They did reveal that, and yeah, that was kind of disgusting. I like how they're developing the the characters in the Batgirl book. Like they're giving Stephanie her own friend in the police force with Nick. You know, we have her college life set up with Barbara in there. I have no clue where he's going to fit into all of this but they're developing the supporting cast and um, I'm going to counter something that Dustin said on the um, blog he was talking about how this book sometimes it's grounded in the real world you know with the civilian life and sometimes it's grounded in the superhero world and they need to make up their mind one or the other I actually like that they're doing a little bit of both because again it reminds me of old school superhero comics where you know you'd see the superhero in their real life, at their job, with their family, with their friends, and then they'd fight crime, and you got to see both of their worlds. Okay, but here's the thing, okay? I'm going to defend my statement in saying that I'm okay with a good mix of both. I'm not okay with too much of one and not enough of the other. Issue one was all about the action with very minimal interaction outside of uh, the, 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 you know, her private life. Issue 2 was more about her private life and less about the action. They need to do an equal distribution of both, otherwise it's not a good issue, because when you get too much of another, you turn into Spider-Man. Well, that might not be such a bad thing, depending on what issue of Spider-Man you're turning into. Uh, Spider-Man's a good example of that, uh, I want to say trope or whatever, but it's not the only one. I mean, uh, Chuck Dixon did it with the Robin series for years. But I, I like that kind of storytelling with my superheroes. It really lets me get into their world. And like I said before, this is probably the Batman Reborn title that I'm enjoying more so than all the others because they're doing that. I mean, I would have liked to have seen, you know, Dick and Damien, you, you know, at, I don't know about at Wayne Court meetings, but basically some of their life outside the costume mix in with the superhero stuff. And that's one of the things I'm enjoying about the book. And they're developing a supporting cast with Detective Nick and who knows what the heck's going on with Wendy so I'm interested in seeing where this is going some more not sure about the new costume but you know what that's been the Batgirl costume for 10 years now so I guess it is time for a change even Robin and Nightwing have been changing costumes so uh, four and a half out of five batterings from me woohoo alright so that is the end of the comic reviews so, this discussion, we're going to talk a little bit about something that we're actually going to pick up more so in the next uh, normal cast, which will come out next week, uh, the day before Halloween. So, 
over the years there's been lots of interpretations of Batman in horror and horror elements in the Batman books and we're just going to briefly just mention some of them and the best thing that you can do is listen to the normal podcast next week as we talk more at, at length about some of the uh, appearances from some of the well-known uh, monsters, I guess you would call them, that have that we're, we're used to, such as vampires and werewolves. Uh, not so much right Frankenstein, apple? but... Vampires <laughs> and werewolves? Oh my god. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, uh, the, ascent- the the big thing is there's, there's plenty of... Uh, there's plenty of interesting things that um, have to do with Batman and Batman and horror elements. So much so that even if you look at back in the time frame of the 60s and 70s, there was plenty of elements that had to do with Batman horror. So much so that the Batcave Companion book specifically had a chapter all about the vampires, the werewolves, the monsters that Batman dealt with in the comics. So, pretty interesting. Um, needless to say, I think it's worthwhile to talk about some of them without beating it to a you know beating a dead horse. But um, let's just go off of just a couple off the top of our heads. Obviously, Superman, Batman versus vampires and werewolves is one of the more recent ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that one definitely is one of the more recent ones. There are, um, off the top of my head, obviously we've had Batman versus the, uh, Batman versus Dracula, the movie, which obviously deals specifically with the vampire. We'll talk more at length about that one down the road. But I mean, there's a lot of comics um, that have been out there throughout the years that have included different monsters. And even so much, this new miniseries, the unseen is kind of, Kind of like the Invisible Man, in a way. Yeah, it gives it that kind of like fifties, I guess, horror type thing. The the unseen. That's what it looks like it's going through. But you know, speaking of the unseen, Doug uh, uh, Monick and Kelly Jones, uh, they did a Elseworlds comic. I think it was in the early nineties. They had also did a, a Batman and Dracula one, and I remember that one being pretty cool. I know I read that. You know, back of course, back in the old days, uh, that was a pretty good story. I think that was a Elseworlds issue. I I want to say, but um, that was another good book that they did. One of my uh, favorite Batman stories, and um, this is probably in my bio on the Batman Universe websites. Is uh, I know that Apple's going to cringe when I say this, but one of the very first Batman stories had Batman fighting vampires and werewolves. It was a uh, and they recently retold that story in Batman and the Mad Monk and stuff. And uh, what was yeah, the Batman other? and the Mad Monk was a good story too. Yeah, when the, the but the, the very first one where then that's the story where he first uses the Batarang because uh, they're trying to turn his fiance into. Well, they're not sure. Like they tell like in part one, they're like Julie's going to become a werewolf, and then in the next issue, he's worried about her becoming a vampire. I think that they just weren't really sure. But, you know, I, that's one of my favorite old-school Batman stories. It, even though it's one of those stories where it doesn't work if you're one of those people who likes to consider Batman down-to-earth and realistic. But, you know, that's how it was done back then. That was one of the early Batman stories, and I gotta say, it's still one of my favorites. And then, of course, you have the cliche villains like Scarecrow, where horror is his element. 
I'd like to see, by the way, a Scarecrow story where he uses the fear toxin on Batman and Batman doesn't see his parents' death because that's done so many times. And Arkham Asylum was a cool video game and they played up the horror element really well. But I was like, oh, he's seen his parents' murder again through Scarecrow's fear toxin. Nice. Yeah. That was awesome. It was awesome, but I mean, it's it's kind of the cliche that when Batman fights the Scarecrow, he's going to relive his parents' murder. And I'd, I'd like to I'd like to see something new. I mean, is there anything else that Batman's afraid of? No. <laughs> the the death of somebody like Jason Todd, or well, let's not get into that. <laughs> Those are just some of the things that we'll discuss on the next podcast leading up to Halloween. But for now, let's throw it over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. Hello there, and welcome back to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm your host Nick, and today I'm reviewing a three-issue mini-series that was published in 1990 called World's Finest. To my knowledge, it hasn't been collected in a trade paperback, and is only available as the original comics. It involves Superman and Lex Luthor, and of course Batman and the Joker, and is the first time we've had Superman in BBFB. The story is provided by Dave Gibbons, who's worked on many comics, including Watchmen. Not many Batman stuff, though, only Batman vs. Predator. And the art is provided by Steve Rude and Carl Kessel. So, how does the big boy in blue do on his BBFB debut? Let's find out. And just in case you didn't know, where have you been for the last 70 years? Here's a little bit of info on his background. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to soar higher than any plane, this amazing stranger from the planet Krypton, the man of steel, Superman. Possessing remarkable physical strength, Superman fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice, disguised as a mild-mannered newspaper reporter, Clark Kent. The book opens with, uh, with contrasting scenes of Batman and Superman preventing a crime in their respective city, and already suspecting their nemeses, Lex Luthor and the Joker, of certain misdeeds. Clark Kent and Bruce meet at Midway Orphanage, where a major plot thread develops concerning the owners. Lex Luthor arrives in Gotham to purchase land for sinister reasons. He learns that the Joker owns the land he wants, and meets him to organise a deal. Joker agrees to sell his land, and he takes a vacation to Metropolis in the process, with his two new henchmen, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. 
Lex begins to complain of vigilantes, but this narrative doesn't really continue. Joker starts to make trouble in Metropolis as we see the villains have swapped cities. The heroes decide to swap cities too. Lex tries to bring down a dilapidated house by ordering his henchmen to remove vital supports. Superman arrives to save the house and learns from the residents of Lex's misdeeds. Meanwhile, back in Metropolis, Batman attempts to catch Tweedledee and Dumb, but fails and the police begin to complain of Batman and his methods. At the Christmas party back at Midway Orphanage, we learn that an older senior figure at the orphanage who was considered dead used to use kids to commit felonies. That figure is still alive and has been in hiding, using his heir to attempt to continue his work. I found this to be a very unclear narrative and very confusing. The Joker then decides to arrive and sets the orphanage on fire disguised as Father Christmas. The kids are saved and the villains escape. Then we head off to New Year's Eve and bombs go off in Gotham and blackouts occur in Metropolis at the stroke of midnight. Superman deals with the blackouts in Metropolis and then flies to Gotham to help Batman put out all the fires using an underground river to flood the flames from an idea that Batman has. Then Batman is flown to Metropolis by Superman as they look for the Joker who they learn has sabotaged a power plant and that power plant is in Meltdown. Superman picks up the capsule at the plant that is about to explode and sends it into space where it detonates safely. A new alliance is made between the two heroes who are declared the world's finest team from the newspaper. And if you didn't realise, that's the title. Clever there, isn't it? A new orphanage is born, Midway Orphanage, and Joker and Lex Luthor are frustrated and I am falling asleep. Where's the Joker? Who knows? Making ha-ha with Harley Quinn. I don't know, honest! I never went back after he muscled in. I don't want nothing to do with that clown. That's enough. I think you've got your answer. I won't have vigilantism in my town. You'll be rid of me. As soon as I find the Joker. That may not be soon enough. So in review, here's what I felt about the book. There were certain plot threads that just weren't followed through. For example, there was Lex Luthor complaining about vigilantes, saying he's going to outlaw them. This never gets revisited again. Uh, Bruce and Lois have a chat. They seem to be getting on in the first issue. That's never visited again. These things just crop up and you think they're going to develop, but nothing happens. There was a lot more of Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent than I expected, and a lot less of Superman and Batman. And I found the two, when interacting, were very boring and didn't excite me at all. Interestingly, we had a rather chubby Lex Luthor in this series. I'm not fully aware of um, Lex Luthor's appearance throughout history, but uh, he's certainly more slim-lined and muscly nowadays than the chubby one we had in this series. The art in the book was actually very interesting, and um, it looked very good. It was quite classical. Um, Superman looked like he was from the old 1940s cartoon serials, and um, I thought the art was actually pretty good. Certainly a major plus in the book with a lot of negatives. The orphanage plotline was incredibly boring. I really didn't care what was going on, and I even struggled to understand clearly what was happening. Thank God that most of that had ended by the second issue and didn't really bother me in the third issue much. But um, this that really brought the entire book down. The entire orphanage th plot thread didn't interest me. Very dull. What is it doing there?
And there were lots of other questions to, that were raised in the book. For instance, Tweedledum and Tweedledee, great to see them. Why are they helping the Joker? It was never really explained. Are they just mercenaries getting paid? Are they mad? I have no idea what's going on there. They just happen to be helping him. And for that fact, why is Lex Luthor working with the Joker? For a house. Why doesn't he just kill the Joker? It's not clear at all why the two would want to work together. I mean, you can understand the Joker's crazy and he'll do anything, but Lex Luthor's a smart man. Why would he want to work with the Joker? Confusing. Not clear at all. I did love the contrasting artwork between the two cities of Gotham and Metropolis, and it was nice to see the characters, Superman and Batman, swap cities and being the uh, the city that doesn't fit them. But again, that's a compliment of the art, I think. Now, the second issue of the three was in very, very dull. The climax of the orphanage story, as I said, really didn't make any impact. It didn't interest me at all. Very boring. I couldn't tell the difference between Lex Luthor and his men. I seem to have had that problem with one or two books recently. And it just seemed to be about art and making sure you differentiate between each character. Because Lex Luthor's men were all bald and they were all a bit chubby too. So it all felt like it was a bunch of Lex Luthers and I couldn't tell the difference. There were several sections in the um, in the issues where there was no speech at all. Completely just panels. Just pictures to tell the story. And I thought they were very effective. I thought the storytelling was good there. You can get across what's happening without people having to say anything. That's not a problem. thought it was really good. But as I said, the overall story sent me to sleep. There was a really cheesy ending with the orphanage. The orphanage was barely even mentioned in the third issue. So a weak ending. But at least in the final issue, the threat level was raised as we were talking about blowing up cities and stuff like that. So it raised the threat level a little bit in the final issue. However, the only entertainment I found throughout the issues was the Joker, and even he seemed a little bit duller than usual. Something really went wrong with this book. All the excitement was drained out. No fun. The interaction between Batman and Superman? Not fun. No interesting characters. No development. Really boring. Completely flat. Avoid this book. As a result, I'm going to give it 2 out of 5 Batarangs, and that's mostly for the art, which I think is very good and the odd, clever moment of writing out of an entire book of very, very dull scripting. And I'll let you know, this wasn't far off a 1 out of 5 Batarangs, but it only gets 2 thanks to the art. Up in the sky! Look! It's a plane! It's a plane! It's Superman! So thank god that's over with, and Superman's debut, not very impressive. Let's hope he does better next time. And speaking of next time, I've got more heroes turning up, as I'll be looking at JLA Year One, that's Justice League of America, for you beginners, Year One. Written by Mark Wade and Brian Augustine, and the art's provided by Barry Kitson. This book looks back at how the original Justice League of America formed, and the trial and tribulations that it had to endure during its first year of existence. Having to deal with human issues of trust and attraction in superhuman situations, we watch as founding members The Flash, Green Lantern, Black Canary, Martian Manhunter and Aquaman learn about both the pros and cons of working as a team. Joined by Batman and Superman in some of their earliest adventures, these tales set the foundation on which the greatest superhero team of all time was built. So look forward to that next time. You can always contact me at nick at thebatmanuniverse.net 
or pop on the forums, leave some feedback. I always appreciate that. So, after a poor debut from Superman, let's see if he can up his game in JLA Year 1. And just before I go, I'll leave you with a small treat that I managed to dig up, which includes all four characters from the world's finest book. Lex, Joker, Batman and Superman. So enjoy this treat, and I'll see you next time. If only World's Finest was as exciting as this is. See ya. Mr. White, I hate to bother you, but I promised these people I'd call them back this morning. What do you think? Well, I don't know, Kent. We personally... Mr. White, I think you'll make a terrific story. What's a terrific story? Every punk in this town is scared to spit. You know what they say? They say you can't be good. They say you dream of Batman. So what do you think, Mr. White? Can I go ahead and make my travel plan? Oh, I was going to ask you the same thing about mine. All right, Ken. Gee, thanks, Mr. White. Hi. Bruce Wayne. Oh, I read your work. I like it. I like it a lot. Comedy. <laughs> anyway, you're going to be staying in Gotham for a while. So that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you pick up the next book and check out the blog for all of the old Bat Books for Beginners to appear on the website. Alright, so let's go through our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. We have on October 28th, Arkham Reborn, number one of three, Batman 692, Batman Monsters, Batman Brave and the Bold, number 10, Batman the Widening Gear, number three of six, 
Detective Comics number 858, Gotham City Sirens number 5, World's Finest number 1 of 4. As we move into November, on November 4th we have Batman Robin number 6, Batman Confidential 36, Batman Battle for the Cow Companion, Batman the Unseen number 3 of 5, Superman Batman The Search for Kryptonite. Now if you pay attention to the blog, you are aware that I've been calling the month of October the month that Bat fans go broke. Uh, and... Judging by what we have coming out in the next two weeks, it looks like November might be the month that Bat fans go broke again. So, what are we going to be covering next time on the podcast? Uh, we are going to be covering Azrael number one, Batman Confidential 35, Streets of Gotham number five, The Unseen number two, Outsiders 23, Superman Batman 65, Arkham Reborn number one, Batman 692, Widening Gear number 3, Detective Comics 858, Gotham City Sirens number 5, World's Finest number 1. Whew. Wow. Well, that's a that's lot. a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. so we are going to cover World's Finest? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm actually so looking definitely, forward to that one. So definitely a lot of stuff we'll be covering, so expect the next episode to just be a slight bit longer than normal, as well as the fact that this one's a little bit longer than normal, and that's just because we've got so many comics to cover in such a short amount of time. So... As always, you can go onto the website for daily news related to the comics, as well as movies, TV, merchandise, and video game news. You can make sure that when you're checking out the news, you'll be able to see previews from the upcoming books. There's always all kinds of stuff that we don't really talk about here on the podcast, because it's mostly art-related images that we can't really talk about without describing it at length, and that just gets repetitive and kind of dumb, in my opinion. Unless it's a Batgirl cover. Yeah, but those well, have lost their mystery now. They definitely have. Mm-hmm. So you can check out the blog where we have reviews from other uh, people besides ourselves. As we tell you at the end of our comic review, or the review wrap up, we tell you exactly what some of the comics have been reviewed as. We are still looking for some people to review some books. Outsiders, Batgirl, um, definitely Asriel coming into it. We will definitely need some more reviewers. And we're always looking for new reviewers as it is because not everybody always has the time to do reviews. So make sure, if you are interested, email us at comicpodcast at thebatmanuniverse.net and let us know. And we'll get you lined up with a book and you can send us your reviews for it. Um, as I just said, email us comicpodcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Join the forums, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we also have YouTube. Uh, which is kind of new, but there's a YouTube page for all the videos that we're posting up in the news sections. And you can leave us a review on iTunes. Also, as a reminder, this is going to be the second to last podcast that we post that will give you the ability to go to Project Fanboy and vote for us so that we are nominated for Best Fan Site of the Year. So please go out and do that. We really appreciate it. We have we're up against some sites that have been out there for quite some time, and it'd be great if our site could win the award. This is only to be nominated, but we can't make it. We can't actually win it if we don't get nominated. So go there, right. and nominate us right now. That's it. This is Dustin. This is Apple. You got Josh. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. I'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys. Bye bye.
One fan wrote in and asked, the world's finest miniseries is getting ready to start at the end of October, and I was wondering what all the characters we will see in it... Well, I was wondering... No, okay, I should start that over. The world's finest miniseries is getting ready to start at the end of October, and I was ready... Wow, really? My Megatron? Were. You were going like that. It's weird. No, it's better. So let's go into the Batman and Detective Comic annuals. Azrael comes, there's an Oracle backup at the end. And then, uh,. Wait, we're going to see, go to the next panel. Yeah, that's all it is. Man, this was a short story. Um, I think, well, I don't even know if I want to get into this. Okay, well, you can edit this out, but there's actually a legion of fans on LiveJournal who, like, love the interaction between Cassandra and Stephanie and want them to become a lesbian couple. So the fact that Stephanie isn't washing the clothes that Cassandra wore kind of reminds me of that. Those fans. Wow. <laughs> anyway. No comments. Yeah. Wow. Hey, hey, you should you should see the internet sometimes. It's there's crazy people out there. Yeah, I just wish I had time to to explore the internet to that degree it'll scar you please never ever have me again assigned to do two big annuals 